I'm sure you've noticed that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, we've got some more things in mind, actually, for, for up here on the stage. Um, so it'll look more like Christmas next week, <laughs> but we've given it a crack to at least start. So I want to ask, are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> when did you or when will you start getting ready? Um, the retail sector starts their campaigns a couple of months out. What about, what about you? When do you put up the tree and uh, buy the gifts and sing the carols? When do you start to wind down or wind up? Um, are you prepared or are you panicking? Well, every Christmas I remember and I'm just so thankful that God started preparing for Christmas from the very beginning. And as you read the Bible, he sort of gradually reveals to us what it'll all mean. So today we're beginning a, a Christmas series called uh, He Will Be Called. We're going to reflect on a, on a single verse, really, namely Isaiah 9.6. There we are. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, instinctively, uh, we understand this promise of a child to be speaking of Jesus, and so we take it and we use it for Christmas, we use it uh, in, for talks, um, we use it in songs, on cards, as, as art even. And, and so we should, right? So we should. But before we go ahead and connect the dots, it's important that we understand the context um, in which this promise is given. For Isaiah was speaking to a people who were in the dark. It was a time of war of political upheaval, of invasions, occupation, of death, of crying, of mourning, and pain. The Assyrians were coming. And in some places of Judah, they had already come, and they'd seen, and they'd conquered. And it was into this darkness that Isaiah speaks. He says, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations. Being in the sort of far north, these regions would have been the first to fall. But it was in the very areas where the Assyrian conquests began that God promises there a light will dawn. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Sounds like something out of a, out of a fantasy sort of novel movie. Sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Um, there is a moment 
in Lord of the Rings, in, in, the, in the movie, not the book. There's a moment when the kingdom of, of Rohan, they, they retreat to, to a place called Helm's Deep, while Gandalf, the, the wizard, he goes and gets help. And he says to Aragorn, he says, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. And um, when uh, Helm's Deep was finally breached and the battle appeared to be all but lost, when the night was darkest, Gimli notices the sun. It's rising. And uh, they recall Gandalf's words. And sure enough, he arrives just in time to save the day. Now, that's, that is sort of what's being promised here, except in this case, this light will be a person who will bring the dawn of a new day, usher in a new era by triumphing over their enemies. But at this point, Isaiah recalls uh, the time when uh, Gideon uh, led a small army to a very unlikely, very unusual defeat of the Midianites. Do you recall that moment in, in Judges? And he says that likewise, this victory would be just as surprising because God was not going to send a wizard or a warrior. He was going to send a child. Now, already uh, in Isaiah, a child has been promised, Emmanuel, but here Isaiah picks up on this hope and takes it even, even further. Uh, now, it's normal for, for parents uh, to make somewhat outlandish claims about their newborn um, kids. You've, you've, you've heard this, haven't you? I mean, we all think our kids are the cutest, right? Um, but occasionally, occasionally uh, you'll hear um, parents uh, boast about how advanced their baby is or um, how gifted their kids are. Um, well, here, Isaiah's claims put even the most over-enthusiastic parent to shame. Listen to this, right? Verse 6 again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, most names in the ancient world were statements, and it was common for uh, kings, when they ascended the throne, to make one. Okay, so even uh, in England nowadays, I think this is true, that when uh, kings and queens can choose their own regal name, right? Uh, but perhaps a better illustration um, might be from, a, from another novel, um, Narnia, right? Remember the kings and queens of Narnia? Peter, the Magnificent. Edmund, the Just. Susan, the Gentle. Lucy, the valiant. These were their throne names, so to speak. And likewise, these four titles, these four throne names will characterise this child. But the question is this. What child is this? Um, Isaiah himself gives no indication of who this son is. He gives no hint as to uh, about a fulfilment in some sort of contemporary figure. Some think it might be describing uh, Hezekiah or perhaps Josiah. 
Now, that's possible, but it's just not perfect because as we reflect on these four names, it will become clear that no ordinary king, no ordinary person is envisioned. The description of his reign, actually, in verse 7, makes it clear that ultimately he's speaking of Jesus. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is, God has a passionate commitment to this cause, to the giving us of his son. What we want to do today is just um, reflect on the first of these four uh, throne names given to Jesus. Wonderful counsellor. Wonderful counsellor. I wonder what comes to mind when you think, of a counsellor, <clears throat> perhaps, um, perhaps lawyer, perhaps a psychologist, perhaps a mentor. Uh, it may well dredge up painful memories for you. It may well stir up healing memories for you. But a counsellor is simply a person who, who gives counsel. Now, in that uh, culture, in that language, however, it involved more than that. It involved planning and deciding. The, the description, wonderful counsellor, actually anticipates the, <clears throat> the description of God himself later in Isaiah. All this comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. And so Isaiah will ask questions like this, who can instruct the Lord as his counsellor? He has no counsellors. He has no creditors. And I think part of the picture that's being painted here in Isaiah 9 is that so it'll be with this child. He will be his own counsellor. Ever heard the saying... He, will, he who will be his own counsellor shall be sure to have a fool for a client. He who shall be his own counsellor will be sure to have a fool for a client. The idea is that um, it's actually very wise, necessary even, to have someone else um, to advocate for you, to counsel uh, you, especially when you, when you go to court. But, but this child, this, this wonderful counsellor, he doesn't need anyone else. Jesus, as God himself, will be his own counsellor. <clears throat> and friends, as one wiser than Solomon, and so he was, he has counsel to offer us too. When Jesus turns up and when he starts preaching and when he starts teaching, his insight and guidance and wisdom were breathtaking. But the people who first heard him, they were amazed. And as we follow him and obey him, we realise too that his counsel to us by his word and by his spirit um, is truly wonderful. But what we will find is that divine wisdom often confounds our worldly wisdom. 
So Isaiah later reminds us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They are much higher. They are beyond us. In fact, he often acts in ways that we find utterly foolish, but are in fact infinitely wise. And that's Paul's point in that second reading that was read to us from 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross may appear weak, may appear foolish, but it is in fact the power and wisdom of God. I just I wonder whether you've you've tried to, to share your faith with others, perhaps with a, a friend, perhaps even with a with a family member. <clears throat> have you ever have you ever fumbled over the cross <laughs> when you get to that moment in your sharing with them? Ever fumbled over the cross? I have, and it's because that for so many people, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. And in these moments, we can even start to doubt the logic of it all. Uh, the Corinthians, um, they had started to doubt the wisdom of it all too. <coughs> See, nowadays, um, we can put up a cross on our front lawn like we have. And we can not cop too much flack for it. But back then, the, a cross was, was taboo. So the Roman statesman named Cicero wrote this, the very word cross should be far not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. There'd be no way that you could get away with featuring a cross on your front lawn in the first century. It was shameful and scornful. Um, Archaeologists have have, uh, even uncovered a piece of anti-Christian graffiti dating back to the the second or third century. Here it is. Here I've got a picture of it. (coughs) Make out the the, the crucified uh, man with a donkey's head. Um, Next to the cross stands a man with his arm raised in in adoration toward him. And below the image is is scribbled in uh, very, very poor Greek... um, Alex Eminos worships his God. And it was likely uh, Roman uh, guards ridiculing the faith of an imprisoned Christian named Alex Eminos by depicting his Lord as an utter loser. The cross appeared foolish. But it wasn't. It was actually, it was actually wisdom. And Paul actually reminds Isaiah, recalls Isaiah <clears throat> to remind them that this was always the plan. He says, in 1 Corinthians, he says, For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And so it's not just that he offers wisdom. He, he does that. It's not just that he offers wisdom. It is that he has become for us wisdom from God. That's how Paul puts it. Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In Christ, God has revealed and accomplished his plan of salvation, which included our righteousness, that is our justification before God, our holiness or our sanctification, and our, and our redemption, whereby he purchased us, securing our deliverance from the bondage of 
of, uh, and condemnation of sin. And so he'll later remind the Corinthians, <clears throat> he says, you were not your own. You were bought with a price, he says. Now all this is wisdom, and it comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. Another writer writes this, Can there be a greater display of the intricate and exquisite wisdom of God than the simultaneous punishment of sin and clemency of the sinner through the crucifixion of God's perfect Son? <coughs> Can there be a greater display of God's wisdom than the singular act wherein the unrelenting holiness of God is satisfied even as the untiring grace of God redeems the guilty. Christ is the wisdom of God precisely because he is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He has become for us on the cross Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and our holiness and redemption. But friends, he could not have come, become these things for us if he had not first come to us. That is, there is no cross without Christmas. And if the message of, cross, of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, then the message of Christmas is just as absurd Think about it. The biblical story, complete with a virgin, a baby, angels. Sounds crazy. Sounds crazy. You know, Christians believe that on the very first Christmas, the infinite and eternal God became a finite and mortal man. You can't make this stuff up. The wisdom of Christmas is just as confounding as the wisdom of the cross. Born in a little town, laid in the feeding trough, raised in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uneducated, misunderstood, denied, abandoned, betrayed, mocked, spat on, flogged, and finally crucified. All in obedience to the Father, according to plan. So in Galatians, Paul writes this, <clears throat> But when the time, set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to, to sonship. To save us, he needed to become one of us, to share our condition, empathising with our weaknesses, tempted in every way, and yet did not sin. Dying the death that we deserve. But to save us, he needed to be quite unlike us too. He needed to be God so he could bear and satisfy the wrath of God and earn for us eternal life and favour with him. Sounds ridiculous. It's wisdom. The incarnation was the only way to accomplish God's plan of redemption. And so we're told that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's the reason for the season. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's an old hymn that goes, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, 
A second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. A wisest love, that flesh and blood which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail. Friends, a cross is at the heart of the gospel, makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. But there would have been no cross if not for Christmas. He could not have become for us wisdom from God if he had not first come to us. That very first Christmas, God's eternal plan became apparent. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. So like that very first Christmas, this Christmas, may the wise still seek him. May the wise still worship him. We pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our wonderful counsellor, our mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. This season, may we celebrate the dawning of your everlasting light in Christ. Amen.